You can take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. We're in a series of messages called Unleashed. Unleashed. And I've titled this one today, Just Like Jesus. Just Like Jesus. So if you are a dad or a mom, if you're a parent, you will remember the birth of your child or your children. Dads may not remember as many details as what moms seem to remember, uh, but uh, they do remember the birth of their children. What's the number one question that is asked right after a child is born? You got it. Is it a boy or a girl? What's the second question people ask? (laughs) Usually the one I hear is, how big was it? Okay, they want to know how many inches, how many pounds. What's the third question? Jeanette said it. What'd they name it? What'd they name it? What's the fourth question? Who do they look like? Okay. Who do they look like? Our obsession with who our children look like, that lasts far beyond birth. Because people on the mom's side and people on the dad's side in those families, two respective families, they'll think that the baby looks like someone on their side of the family. And as children grow up, their features are constantly being compared to their relatives. Oh, you have your mother's nose. (laughs) You have your father's eyes. I got my father's hair, (laughs) all right? But we almost assume that whoever the baby looks like, that that's who they're going to be like. And and I think to a certain extent, children probably do try to imitate the people that they look like. But I thought about this as I looked at this last part of Acts chapter 9, and we have two stories here about Peter. Who does Peter look like in these stories? Because I think this is the key to understanding why Luke included these stories. And you might miss it with just a casual glance. Because these two stories at the end of Luke 9 don't really tell us anything new. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Luke set the agenda for the entire book of Acts when Jesus said, You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even into the uttermost parts of the earth. And so we've seen the gospel as it's progressed along those lines. Peter preached in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. Some 3,000 responded. Then the gospel went to Judea and Samaria after Stephen was stoned. And then Saul began to persecute the church, and the persecution scattered the church, but they took the gospel with them, so it was progressing. And then the gospel had gone about as far as it could go with the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch, all the way to Ethiopia. And now with the conversion of Saul of Tarsus that we looked at last week, the apostle to the Gentiles has been selected. And so the next logical step should be to take the gospel to the Gentiles, which takes place in chapter 10, the next chapter, something we've already looked at a few weeks ago. And yet Luke pauses here to include two divergent stories. Why? 
Why would Luke go back for these two, I don't know, some call them unremarkable stories about evangelizing Judea? Lydda is only 25 miles from Jerusalem. Joppa is just 11 miles further. But why include these stories here? Because the characters in these stories never appear again. There are two accounts of miracles that are taking place. So anything that's miraculous, I guess, is indeed that. But they just don't seem to fit into the plot line of the book of Acts or the flow of the book at first glance. And yet, if you concentrate on these stories for a minute before you rush through them, I think we begin to see something very important. These stories, you remember those uh, magic eye, those three-dimensional pictures? You would look at them and all you would see are these random shapes and colors, but if you knew how to do it, all of a sudden a three-dimensional picture would come out of those. And you would see, and you'd think, how did I ever miss that? Now, I confess, I was never able to get the picture out of those crazy things. But I think here, we have something like that. Something that we might say, how did I miss that before? Because if you read these accounts carefully, I think you'll come to see something that maybe you missed. I think you'll see Jesus in 3D in the life of Peter. In both stories, Peter looks just like Jesus here. In the healing of Aeneas, Jesus is the center of the story. Peter is checking up on the new Judean churches. He stops in Lydda. When he arrives there, he encountered a man that had been paralyzed for eight years. Well, Peter had repeatedly seen Jesus heal paralytics. Jesus would say something like, get up, take up your mat, and walk. Peter had, in fact, done the same thing back in Acts chapter 3 when he and John went to the temple to pray. But notice his language here in verse 34 of chapter 9. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and take care of your mat. Immediately, Aeneas got up. Jesus Christ heals you. Now what's Peter saying? Well, he's saying that Jesus was alive and working through him. And the healing claimed and, and proved that what he said was true. And the reaction to the miracle is the same as it was when Jesus would perform a miracle in his ministry. Widespread faith. It says in verse 35, all those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. Well, then Peter relived the actions of Jesus again in the raising of Tabitha, because just 11 miles on down the road was Joppa, modern-day Tel Aviv. And Tabitha, a great saint, had died. In the Greek language, Tabitha's name is Dorcas. It means gazelle. And she was an outstanding disciple. This woman had lived out the life of Jesus, by her works of compassion. She had the same reputation as Jesus. She went about doing good. That's what it says here in verse 36. Peter says that Jesus went about doing good in Acts 10 verse 38. So she's just like Jesus in that respect. Her specific ministry was making clothes for widows. 
the most helpless and desperate people in that society. She sowed what they couldn't afford, but what they badly needed. She was a one-woman benevolence ministry, but now she had died. And the church and the widows of Joppa were crushed. Well, the disciples heard that Peter was just 11 miles away, so they called upon him and urged him to come at once. Why? What do they think Peter's going to do? Did they expect Peter to come and raise her from the dead? Because to my knowledge, the scripture doesn't tell us specifically if Peter had ever done that before. And when Stephen was stoned in Acts 7, did anybody try to raise him from the dead? Not that we know of. These people had already prepared Tabitha's body for burial by washing it. So why did they call Peter? Maybe they called him to preach her funeral. I mean, a woman of this character and importance, she deserved a, an apostle to come and preach her funeral. Maybe that's what they thought. But for whatever reason, Peter did agree to come, and when he arrived, the widows took him to an upper room where they had laid her body, showed him all kinds of clothes that she had made for them. And it was an emotional moment. They all began weeping again. And Peter could see the powerful ministry this woman had, how badly she was still needed. And that's when I think Peter remembered a similar moment with Jesus. Jesus had been summoned by Jairus, whose daughter was sick. But Jairus' daughter died while Jesus was on the way to Jairus' house. But when Jesus got there, he took that girl's parents along with Peter and James and John to an upper room, sent the mourners out, and Jesus said, Talitha kum, which means little girl, arise, get up. And she got up. And Peter did almost exactly the same thing here. He sent all the mourners out of the room. He bowed down, he prayed. It was an awesome thing that he was planning to do here. Peter turned to, turned to the woman and said almost the identical words of Jesus. There is just one letter different in the original Aramaic that Peter and Jesus would have been speaking. Peter said, Tabitha, kum. Tabitha, gazelle, get up. And just like Jairus' daughter, Tabitha got up. And as expected, it sparked an evangelistic wave throughout Joppa. Verses 42 and 43 say, This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. That was the purpose of miracles. To give an authenticity to the message being presented by the apostles. To prove, to show that what they were preaching and telling people about Jesus was true. You realize there's just about three clusters of miracles in the Bible? Just three. Those that surrounded the Israelites in Egypt and as they came out in the wilderness wanderings, they experienced a lot of miracles, didn't they? There were those miracles during the ministry of the prophets like Elijah and Elisha. You have a cluster of miracles there. And then you have that cluster of miracles in the ministry of Jesus and his apostles. And again, people responded, and the, the miracle proved that it was of God. 
And so Peter stayed in Joppa then for some time with a tanner named Simon. Now, I don't think that Luke tells these two stories just to set us up for what God's going to do in the next chapter with Cornelius or just to give some chronological space for Saul of Tarsus and the development of the Apostle Paul to come along. Could it be that Luke wants to remind us what it means to be a believer in Jesus? Being a believer in Jesus means becoming like Jesus. He's our master. He's our Lord. And before Peter opened the gospel to Gentiles, Luke shows us that Peter's acting like his master, like Jesus. Which begs the question, are you? Are you acting like Jesus? Am I? acting like Jesus. In Acts chapter 9, Peter looks so much like Jesus, it's hard to tell the difference. Jesus is living and working in Peter so much that they look alike, and that's what it means to be a disciple. That's what the church is all about. Just like children look and act like their parents or their siblings, we we should look and act like Jesus, our elder brother. The theme of Acts, one scholar said, is the church. The story of Jesus continued. (laughs) I think that's a good point. Through his Holy Spirit, Jesus lives and works in the church. That's us. His body on earth. If you belong to Jesus, then he lives and works in you because your body is his temple, according to 1 Corinthians 6.19. So what about your life? Can Can you say you're becoming just like Jesus? Max Lucado wrote a book by that name, Just Like Jesus, and in it he asked some penetrating questions. And I quote, What if, for one day and night, Jesus lives your life with his heart? Your heart gets the day off, and your life is led by the heart of Christ. What would you be like? Would people notice a change? Your family, would they see something new? Your co-workers, would they sense a difference? What about the less fortunate? Would you treat them the same? And your friends, would they detect more joy? How about your enemies? Would they receive more mercy from Christ's heart than from yours? End of quote. Something to think about. Sometimes I think we resist becoming like Jesus. I heard of a mother who was preparing pancakes for her two sons, Kevin, age five, and Ryan, age three, and the boys began to argue over who would get the first pancake. (laughs) So the mother said to them, now if Jesus were sitting here, he would say, let my brother have the first pancake, I can wait. So Kevin turned to his younger brother and said, Ryan, you be Jesus. (laughs) There's something in us that wants to reduce following Jesus to less than being like Jesus. We want it to mean uh, just being a little better than the average person, a little more moral than average, or just being basically a good person. We, We want to reduce it that way. We want it to mean occasional attendance at church or occasional financial offerings at the church. But that's not what God's goal was when he sent Jesus to live among us and die for us and rise up to give us new life. I mean, the meaning of our baptism is new life. We bury the old life and we rise up with Jesus to to live his life. 
Read about that in Romans 6 and what Paul said. And when we talk about in our own thinking what is right and what is wrong, sometimes that can be a little bit fuzzy. But when we ask what would Jesus do, it gets a lot clearer. How should I treat the person that mistreated me? Well, what would Jesus do? My friends have invited me to a party, but I know the kind of things that will go on there. Should I go? What would Jesus do? My boyfriend's pressuring me to have a sexual relationship. What would Jesus have me do? You see, things get a lot clearer when you're trying to determine what would Jesus have me do. Because just living by rules can drive people to sin and rebellion. But living by Jesus' example inspires people to holiness and love. And only to the degree that Jesus is living in the church is it an authentic church of Christ or Christian church. Is Jesus living in the church here at New Hope? I pray that he is. You know, a congregation can believe all the right doctrines and observe all the right rituals perfectly, but if they don't reflect Jesus, they're not a real church. A true church is one that acts like Jesus. An authentic church is one that does what Jesus did, helps the hurting, gives hope to the hopeless. It welcomes outcasts and sinners and transforms their lives. It encourages people to rise up out of brokenness to a new life. There have been scholars that have argued for years and years, is there a pattern for the church in the book of Acts? Well, of course there is. The pattern is Jesus. Be like Jesus. So, so what does it mean for us? Well, as important as the church is, our focus should not be on the church, but on Jesus. The power to change lives is not in the church. It's in Jesus. You can come to a church gathering and not be helped at all. It's only if you encounter Jesus that you'll find the power to be transformed. And the church is the place where Jesus encounters people most powerfully. And the church should never preach itself. We preach Jesus. Because only Jesus has the power to attract people and to save them. Jesus is the one that said, And I, if I be lifted up, shall draw all men to myself. And if you haven't noticed, <laughs> we're not all that impressive, are we? We don't help people unless they find Jesus among us. I asked you earlier to imagine what it would be like if for one day and night Jesus lived your life with his heart. From Max Lucado's book, as I mentioned. Would it make a difference? And would you still do what you're doing right now? Would you still do what you've planned to do for the next 24 hours? If Jesus' heart were in you instead of your heart? Pause and think about your schedule. Your obligations, your engagements, your appointments, your outings. With Jesus taking over your heart, would anything change? And then keep working on that for a moment. And adjust the lens of your imagination until you have a clear picture of Jesus leading your life.
And when you see that picture, snap the shutter and frame the image. Because what you see right then is what God wants. He wants you to think and act like Jesus. You see, God's plan for you is nothing short of a new heart. If you were a car, God would want control of your engine. If you were a computer, God would claim the software and the hard drive. If you were an airplane, God would take his seat in the cockpit. But you're a person, so God wants your heart. And he wants to change your heart. He wants you to be just like Jesus. He wants you to have a heart like his. Again, from Max Lucado's book, I quote, he says, God loves you just the way you are, but he refuses to leave you that way. He wants you to be just like Jesus. He loves you just the way you are. If you think his love for you would be stronger, if your faith were stronger, you're wrong. If you think his love would be deeper, if your thoughts were deeper, wrong again. Don't confuse God's love with the love of people. The love of people often increases with performance and decreases with mistakes. Not so with God's love. He loves you right where you are. God's love never ceases. Never. Though we spurn him, ignore him, reject him, despise him, disobey him, he won't change. Our evil cannot diminish his love. Our goodness cannot increase it. Our faith doesn't earn it any more than our stupidity jeopardizes it. God doesn't love us less if we fail or more if we succeed. God's love never ceases. God loves you just the way you are, but he refuses to leave you that way. End of quote. And the real message of these stories about Peter in Acts chapter 9 is that Jesus is still alive and working in his church. And even right now, Jesus is creating a new world where old paralytics can rise up to walk and the dead rise up to bless the poor again, just like Tabitha. In the church today, we've got people that have overcome every sin and struggle and weakness known to mankind, and they've done it by the power of Jesus. These people heard the good news. Jesus Christ heals you. Get up. Those trapped in captivity of harmful addictions can get up. Those suffering and crippling loneliness and rejection can get up. Those with no hope or meaning for life can get up. Those who have experienced failure can get up. We've heard good news and we got up to begin a new life in Christ. Folks, the church is not a showcase for the perfect. It's a clinic for the broken. And our world is still filled with billions of people suffering the effects of sin and evil. And just as Peter said to Aeneas and Tabitha, so the church, speaking as Jesus, still says to these people, get up. Life doesn't have to be as you've known it. Get up. There's power to help you at the point of your greatest need. Get up. There's possibilities for your life you've never imagined. Get up. Jesus is here with power and wants to make you just like him. Get up. Get up. Get up. And that's the sermon. 
And if you need to make a decision for Christ Jesus, get up. If you need to accept him today as your Lord and Savior, get up. Meet me right down in front when we stand to sing. If you've got things that you need to further discuss about taking a step of faith, come and see me. But whatever your decision is today, take the next step in your journey of faith. Get up and take that step. Let's stand and sing.